Hey guys, this is our weekly podcast by Cornerstone Church of Ione. We're so glad that you decided to join. We are a church family passionate about seeing people worship Jesus, grow in their faith, and serve those around them. If you would like to learn more about Cornerstone, please visit us at cornerstoneione.org, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Well, good morning. Good to see you all. Good morning. I uh, did want to take a moment this morning and uh, just share something that is kind of going on deep in the hearts of my family, and um, it reflects upon uh, you guys also. I see God working in my life through you guys, so we just want to share that. Um, just, And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. Um, hey, Jason, is Blake back there? Okay, perfect. All right. Um, so, um, just because some of uh, you may have seen some tears in between services or um, may notice other things along the way, um, I just want to share a couple of things going on in my life. Uh, um, so, uh, several months back, maybe eight months or so, my mom was diagnosed with uh, cancer and um, they had a treatment that they thought would work well. So um, they began that treatment. Part of that was uh, chemo. And so that she finished chemo about two months ago. And uh, they, did, they do a final scan. And they kind of told her at that point even, you know, like, hey, we probably won't even call you for two years. And at that point, we'll just check. But things will probably be good. And um, uh, maybe a week or so after that scan, they did call her back and they told her that uh, the cancer didn't, didn't change at all from the chemo. And um, so uh, they also described that uh, it's um, terminal now and gave her a timeline. Uh, but also, and they said that radiation won't affect it, chemo won't, won't affect it. But they said there is this combo that affects maybe 6% of people as it will help and, and by help we mean months not necessarily years so um, anyways uh, my kids only know part of that so try to keep that you know maybe it would be weird for you to talk to my kids about it anyways probably so I don't have to worry about that but um, so with the realities of that setting in and, and having um, uh, the best we can estimate maybe a year left or so with her um, we imagine a portion of that time is going to be good time and a portion of that time is going to be bad time. So um, I did talk to the elders and I asked if, if they would allow me to work about one week a month uh, remotely up in Washington so my, my kids can be around uh, their grandparents and they can have good times with grandma before things begin to change. And uh, they gave me the go ahead for that. So that was very gracious. And, um, and part of the reason I'm bringing this up is not just to update everybody, but I know it's kind of getting out and there's been some moments in between services where there's been some tears and things like that, but um, a couple of things. One is my mom is a believer. She's saved. She'll be in heaven, and so that is probably number one thing. Um, additionally, uh, she's in really good spirits about this, and, um, and so that is good. Um, uh, I appreciate, I'm going to like, I, I, I may over-spiritualize something here, but I don't think it is. Um, one of the things that 
we have decided is we would like to try to once a month get the kids up there, and I work remotely, but there's kids and grandparents to be able to interact, and, um, but that costs money to go up there. It's time, it messes with work stuff. The elders have been tremendously gracious, and we just did our first little trip up there last week. Um, and also, this is something that like I believe is God working. Um, you can do with it what you want, but um, starting a couple months ago, there's like random envelopes showing up in my uh, in my box that says for Brian on them and there's money in there and at first I wasn't sure what to do because I didn't know whose money it was and then uh, somebody explained to me that that it's like just like a love gift in there and so I'm like oh that's kind of neat and then now as things come around I just had to like uh, move money around Saturday because of the of the trip and stuff and um, and I was able to see like these deposits and I realize, you know, for me, I just, I just believe it's as much as you guys are praying for me and the elders are being gracious, there's even this practical need being met that makes that trip easier. And, uh, and, and I don't know who's, the, the, the money thing is just anonymous in there. And, uh, and for me, it just was like, I felt like this blessing from Cornerstone. I don't know if this person knows what's going on or what's going on, but that's there. And it was literally a little bit, not a big stress, but a little bit of a stress in my life. And then I was able to see that those deposits covered those amounts to go up there and stuff. And it's just, for me, it's just like this huge God thing and just Cornerstone loving and caring for each other. We saw in COVID with a bunch of people in need. We saw there's been people um, recently in our congregation that have lost uh, nephews and nieces and husbands are sick and things like that and just the outpouring for that and then to experience a bit of that also myself um, just uh, you know means means a lot from you guys and I really um, appreciate that and all the prayers you guys have been praying for my mom and um, she one of the ladies here um, also has cancers um, sent a letter to my mom she starts out she goes hey uh, what's your mom's address I'm like that's a weird question she lives 600 miles away and then I realized I forgot about snail mail. You can actually mail things. And uh, she mailed my mom a letter. And I just talked to her after the service. And I said, I don't know if you guys have been talking a lot or the little bit you've talked made a huge difference. But my mom talks about you every single time I visit now. And just even stuff like that. Uh-oh. Even stuff like that means a lot to me. Because of COVID and the cancer, she's got to kind of isolate from her church a bit and stuff. And so getting that from a church from California just really means a lot to me. So anyways, thank you for that. If you notice, there's a week where I'm, I'm gone once a month. That's where I'm at. Thanks for all the support and the prayers and continue to pray. Whatever prayer teams you guys have, put it on there. And uh, just don't bring any of this up to the kids because we're slowly integrating them into this information. Um, but anyway, just want to thank you for that and just encourage you how God works. And I've been able to experience it personally through you guys, so I really appreciate that. Ah. So there's one other announcement uh, that I wanted to make. Um, and I don't know if Jack already did this, but I just want to make sure. Um, there was a, uh, a godly gentleman that used to attend our church before they moved named Lauren Ardry. And uh, he has passed away in the last couple weeks. And they have a celebration of life this coming Saturday for him here at our church. And um, I just had contact from somebody this week that said, hey, we just want to make sure everybody who attends Cornerstone knows that that's happening so nobody misses it and wants to be there. So if you know our new Lauren and want to attend that on this coming Saturday, um, if you want the specific time, you can talk to Karen Reed, uh, Tom Reed, or myself, and uh, we'll get that information to you. And uh, you can go to that. Lauren was a great, wonderful, godly man. So um, 
You know, it's one of those, another one of those bittersweet things where he beat us to heaven, but it's sad to lose him, you know. So, okay, with that, let's, let's take a moment and pray together. Father, the reality that we're reminded of is that everybody in this room will probably die. And the way you have uh, designed salvation is that there's this life we have here where we don't know where the end is, but there's a decision for Christ that we're called to make. And yet, within that decision to make, your power is at the root of it. Your decision is at the root of that. And we preach your good news, and we preach your good news, and we are not swayed by the, by the current of this world, but that we stand firm and steadfast upon the rock of your word. And that truth remains, that without faith in you, there is eternity. And that with faith in you, there is eternity. God, the good news is that we deserved eternity in hell, but yet you have saved us and paved a way back to your righteousness by your own work and your own hand by which your power redeems us. Just gracious and loving. and We see sovereignty in it. We see power in it. We see omniscience in it. We see you as king in that plan. God, sober our hearts this morning. That we don't know the day or the hour of your return. And we don't know the day or the hour of our end. But our life is compared to a vapor. And maybe this morning that will feel more real for us. Got to take a special moment. To thank you for Cornerstone, the people that brick by brick you added to your church that serves and loves each other. And I've been able to graciously watch these people love each other. And amidst health issues, serve each other with loss, serve each other and love each other. From flowers to food. The testimonies were there for each other. And to now be on the receiving end of that. Just transcends my understanding of who you are. Because I know the greatness and the, and the love that I've experienced from these people are your hands and feet, and yet you are even greater. God, as we study your word this morning... As we look at the very first apostolic sermon, that we see what's there and what matters. And in Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 2. Open the Bibles. Okay. Let me summarize as we get there and explain why we're here and how we got here. We've just finished Luke, which we see the life of Christ from uh, 
his birth to his death and resurrection and ascension. And upon that end part, what we see is that Jesus is crucified on the cross for the sins of many so that those of us who place our faith in him can have our sins forgiven and they're paid in full. There's no sin great enough that God's power couldn't overcome and yet it did overcome also. In effect, it's complete. And then he raises from the dead, beats death, beats sin altogether, shows himself over the course of 40 days to 400, 500 plus people to convince the world that I am the king of the universe. I am God in flesh. I'm dwelling among you. And he gives this great commission to these 12 that he had called together for himself. There's 11 left. And he gives this great commission. He says, go and tell people about who I am and what I've done, the goodness of the news that I've brought, teaching them to obey my commands, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Essentially, go out, spread this news, make disciples, baptize them in my name, and teach them to obey what I've written, what I've said. And then he begins, he ascends, but before he ascends, he gives them a message. He says, but I want you to wait, because when I go, I'm sending something. I can't send something until I go, so it's better that I go and do my work, and the Holy Spirit comes and does its work. So wait. Spent a lot of time talking about what wait looks like and what they devoted themselves to. So they do. They go into Jerusalem, go into the upper room. There's, uh, there's about 108 people that join them, which would bring it to about 120 people in this upper room waiting, devoting themselves to prayer. And then in the moment uh, on Pentecost, which pen- Pentecost means 50 or 50, so 50 days after Passover is what Pentecost is. It's a festival, it's a feast, it's a sacrifice moment. And they're there, and it's on that day that the Holy Spirit comes upon these people here, filling them, baptizing them with the Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit doing that, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Spirit created a sound that they resembled to essentially kind of like a hurricane sound of wind. That's what it sounded like. And it looked like tongues of fire on the heads of these people. And this commotion, these sights and sounds, then draw in thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And they begin to speak in tongues. Hot topic question, especially among Baptists, where some people, they're like, they're like you know, doing the remote start in the car, like, I'm out of here, the AC's on. Depending on what you teach about tongues, I'm out of here. And we talked about how this passage is very simple to work through. It says what it was. They spoke in other languages. There are other places where it speaks about uh, uh, spirit languages and tongues, and we can get to that later. But right now, this is simple. Let's, let's study the Bible here. And what it says is that they spoke in other languages, which is incredible, by the way. Yeah. And people heard them in their own language. And then what happens is Peter stands up and then begins to preach a sermon. Now it's interesting. Sometimes we're like, yeah, we know what Pentecost is, Peter's sermon, and we just move on. But like, since we're here, let's hang here. We're actually going to take three weeks to get through the, the sermon that Peter preaches. And it's going to be great. It's going to be fruitful. We're going to love it. It's going to change our lives. 
Because one of the things about Peter is that 50 days earlier he was denying Jesus when he was on trial. I don't know the guy. There's little kids asking him. Like he's afraid of them. No. I don't know who Jesus is. Adults asking him. I don't know who this guy is. And then 50 days later, he preaches the first Christian apostolic sermon. Let's read our text. Chapter 2, verses 14 through 15 is where we'll start. This is after they are speaking in tongues. Some people are amazed. And then other people say they're drunk. It's kind of two responses. This is incredible. And then they're drunk. Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you. Fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. He doesn't want any confusion. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Now, the reason you laugh is a decent reason. Because imagine this. I do something up here, and you're like, I think Brian's drunk. And I'm like, hey, I'm not drunk. It is way too early for me to be drunk. Right? You guys will be like, well, there's probably a different way to say that. Right? So, but I think the point is that it's addressed. And the reason why it's so vague is because we're going to bring out that his point is so pointed. It makes them look foolish for bringing it up. And so that's why it's cared for like this in verse 15. So one of our questions would be, why is Peter speaking? Now, I don't think gospel-oriented ways this matters, but I think that as you study your Bible, it matters because we see something. Um, why is Peter preaching this sermon? And I would say that previously, we've noticed that Peter is bold. He's the one that speaks often for them. In fact, who often asked Jesus to explain the parables when the disciples were confused? Exactly. Peter. <laughs> Who asked Jesus how many times they should forgive each other? Peter. When Jesus is walking and feels the power leave him, and Jesus questions this, who pipes up? Peter. Who told Jesus, wait, you can't wash my feet, I should be washing your feet? Peter. Who was the first to confess that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God? Peter. Who was the third person of the inner three with Jesus? James, John, and Peter. Who got out of the boat to walk on water? Peter. Who tried to rebuke Jesus after speaking of his death? Unfortunately, Peter. When Jesus was arrested, who unsheathed his sword and tried to kill the officer? Peter. And if that caught you off guard a little bit, FYI, Peter was not trying to cut off an ear. He was trying to kill the guy, and he missed and got his ear. And Jesus says, put your sword back. Jesus then used Peter as an example of the kinds of people he will build his church with. On this rock, on this Peter, I will build my church. So why Peter? Partly because he was always the spokesman, and we'll see that uh, he is the spokesman. That doesn't mean the other disciples or apostles don't speak. It just means that he was the one doing most of this. It was kind of his role, his responsibility. The second question we can come to is, why did they assume that they were drunk? And what was Peter's answer to that? 
Good questions. Because I think why they thought that he might be drunk has to do with what the Holy Spirit was doing, so we should ask that question. He was, they were speaking in different languages, right? So if you heard somebody speak in a different language, you may think, that sounds like they're drunk. Let me give you an example. Now, in case you didn't pick up on my French dialect, <laughs> that means, I love you to the moon and back, which is a phrase my wife uses. Now, if you heard me say that, and you didn't know what I was doing, you'd be like, either maybe a stroke, or he's drunk. Now, let me give you another example, and I want you, what I want you to do is legitimately think about this. Imagine if nothing else had happened that has happened here, and I get up, and then I say what I'm about to say. Think about what things might go through your mind. Right, so I get up here, and I say, Je ne parle pas français, monsieur la pude commune de He'd be like, get a medic. Like, there's something wrong that's not right. Right? Or legitimately, you could be like, whoa, is Brian drunk up there? To which I would say, it's too early for that, people. <laughs> right? The reality, though, is the Holy Spirit is legitimately causing something to happen to that then people are going to attribute a sin to. Kind of fascinating. The confusion happens one of two ways. People hear a different language. The second is, people were precluded from hearing the word rightly because of the Lord. There's only two ways. Because some of us, those of us who are kind of Bible studiers, maybe, would think like, wait a second, didn't everybody hear the word in their own language? Then why would they be thinking they're drunk because of the words they're saying? Because they would have heard it in their own language, right? So there's kind of two approaches. One is that, um, that the miracle in itself was the speaking the sign and wonder was the speaking. They spoke in different languages. And so then that would mean that it wasn't a hearing miracle or sign or wonder. It wasn't that there was one language said and then everybody heard them in their own language. But the miracle, the power was in that these people were then speaking in this language and speaking in this language and speaking in this language. Or uh, in, in various ways it says that then he went on to preach other words and things like that. But the idea is, is that there's two different ways. One is that they heard somebody else's language and thought, I don't understand that. And then eventually it was said in their language too as they spoke in different tongues. And then they're like, oh, I understand what he's saying. Now he spoke in my language, but what was all that jazz before? The other one was that God closed their ears. And we've seen that in the, in the Old Testament also. We see that in the Gospels also. There are times where people are precluded from hearing. And then on the other hand, let those with ears hear. And so I, um, I mean, e either one of those, um, I guess, are possible. I believe that it is... Uh, the miracle, the Holy Spirit empowered was the speaking of different languages. And some would say it's both. They spoke in a different language, but it was heard in various languages, and there's different ways to discuss this. But what I believe was happening was, like in verse 4, it says they were speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. That people showed up and heard their own language, and that the power of the Holy Spirit enabled these people who did not know how to speak other languages to speak fluently in those other languages, just as I did in French a minute ago. You guys get that? How you can then see that 
as they're speaking in these other languages, then that it can appear that way. There's another reason, actually, um, and this is a far more practical reason. Uh, the Galileans were considered like the fighters, the rebel rousers, the protesters. Zealots came from the Galileans, right? Luke chapter 13 says that Pilate mixes the blood of some of the, these Galileans with the sacrifices given. That's not a good relationship. That is a tentious relationship. Okay? And uh, for instance, if um, there was any sacrifices being given for any reason and we, and we knew that, well, the blood of the Ionians was mixed in with them, you wouldn't say, like, well, they have a good relationship with those Ionians. We'd be like, something's a little off here. There's tension. And that's what it was. There was tension with the Galileans. They were constantly fighting against the power, against injustice. What's right is right, is wrong is wrong. Somebody once described them as this. They were the untucked shirt, dirty boot wearing, scab knuckle having, this ain't right hollering, scholastically uneducated, unpolished speaking bunch. That's who they were. So, I mean, you can imagine like this person. And yet that is where Jesus drew many of his disciples from. That's where he spent a lot of his time, actually. He, I mean, some people say that that appears to be where Jesus felt most at home, was with them. And, you know, we see God do that, Old Testament, New Testament alike. What he does is he goes to the people you'd expect the least of, and then he makes much of them in order to make much of himself. Because then people look at them and they say, they couldn't have done that, the Lord's working through them. And it gives glory to God as they do things in his name. And that should be... Um, a very encouraging message to those of us sitting here, that he takes the people who can't on their own and gives them power to do his own will and to glorify himself. So two reasons. One is that I believe that as they were preaching in these other languages, there were times where they didn't understand the language and it sounded like I sounded earlier and they're like, these guys are drunk. And then also it's like the Galileans, they, they're getting drunk all the time anyways. So it makes sense. However, what we know for a fact is that they weren't drunk. Peter addresses that and essentially says, it's only 9 a.m. We have not even finished our sacrifices or eating breakfast. Typically, on this day, they would eat breakfast more around 10 a.m., so they haven't eaten breakfast yet. They're still in the, in the uh, religious ceremonial part of Pentecost. No, no Jew is, is going to be drinking. In fact, even for the drunkard, it's socially inappropriate to be drinking now. Even the drunkard would withhold the glass of wine before this moment. And so what he's doing, he can quickly and easily point out, you're being foolish in saying that. That's not true. Listen to these people. They're hearing us in their own language. That's his answer. And it's a sufficient answer and a good answer. And we know why they asked it and how the answer rectifies it. So then we continue reading. And this is Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 21. says this, No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Let's stop there just for a second. He's answering the question, right? Their question is, what is this? What's happening? Are they drunk? Is this a miracle? And to the latter, or the former, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. This is intended to happen. This is supposed to happen. This is the work of God happening right now. 
And then in verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn uh, blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. Verse 21, but everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This section of text is answering the questions from verses 12 and 13 above. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked. They asked each other, but others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk and that's all. And he says, no, this is supposed to happen. This was prophesied long ago by the prophet Joel. Verse 16. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. What was prophesied? You see up there what's written in red. I will pour out my spirit. That's what was prophesied. I will pour out my spirit. And that's what's happening. And the effect of that is what they're experiencing. So yes, this all goes back to what was prophesied will happen, and it's happening now. And not only are they trying to say, wait, is this the time where the Holy Spirit's coming? Because Jesus already told them, this is going to be the time. And then they go, and then it happens. And they're experiencing what was prophesied would happen, which is the baptizing of the Holy Spirit of believers. I would encourage you to, uh, in your mind, create room for baptizing of the Holy Spirit and filling of the Holy Spirit. Create room for those two terms. So then, the Spirit on who or whom? All people... Sons, daughters, young, old, servants, men and women alike, everyone. Which is different than the Old Testament. And we're going to get more and more and more into this as we go through this sermon. About what is the difference between this Old Testament Holy Spirit and this New Testament Holy Spirit? Because there was the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, but they're waiting for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. So what is the difference? What's happening here? We're going to look at that. But for now, what we see is that he'll pour out his spirit. He says it twice, actually, on all people, and then goes on to explain what all people looks like, and then has some attributes of the Holy Spirit there, what you may see from the Holy Spirit prophecy and visions and things like that. Speaks of signs and wonders. Look at what are those? Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and moon will turn red. You know, often when we look at uh, this, we can look at prophecy and visions and dreams and dreams. And, and our first question is, does that mean I can do that now when I want? Is that something that now we have on tap, on demand for us are these things? And we immediately go, there are signs and wonders. We then want to take out of messages like this, we want to go straight to, well, what are the signs and wonders? And, and what is this, how does that fit into the timeline of Revelation or Matthew or Luke? Imagine this. Imagine at this point in Peter's sermon, I'm going to read it again so that we can get the full effect here. 
But imagine this process happens here. Peter begins his, this is the introduction of the sermon that we're dealing with today, begins this introduction, and he, he begins to address these people who say, oh, they're just drunk, or what's happening, and stuff like that. And he goes, no, what you're seeing here was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And then he goes on the quote. He goes, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit among all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike. Twice, he says, I'll pour out my spirit. And then lists all these various people. And he goes, I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn blood red and before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But everyone who calls upon the Lord will be saved. And you're like, wait a second. Am I going to dream dreams? Do I get to be the dreamer? Do I get to dream dreams? Am I going to, am I going to prophesy? Right? You, you, like we feel it a little bit at least right now. We're like, no, we're missing it. There's something else being communicated. In fact, if I wrote you a letter, what I would hope is that your goal is what is Brian trying to communicate here? Not what can I, what can I make this say that I wanted to say or something like that? Right? When we all write each other texts or emails or whatever, or say um, a handwritten letter that is then mailed off, what we want to do is what are they trying to say? So in this, we do the same thing. What is Peter saying here? He goes, what you're experiencing is what just happened to the Holy Spirit. It's said twice in this prophecy that the Holy Spirit will be poured out. Among who? Among everybody. And there's going to be signs of that also. So, what's with these signs, right? That's another question. It's a good question. Just like, are we going to participate in the wonders, but it's not the main point. So we'll wait for this sermon and this book to flesh that stuff out for us. Again, these signs come up and we're like, we care about when the Lord returns. We care about what the day of the Lord is. So we want to ask these questions. Those are good questions, but let's let the sermon play itself out and this book play itself out and learn from it rightly. But I will say this, um, there is discussion about the signs and wonders because we have this desire, and maybe it's good, maybe it's not, where we want to zone in and zoom in on what, when Jesus is coming, right? We want to know that. And part of it is because, like, I just want to be, I so desperately want to be taken away from this world. I know I'm a fish out of water here. I know I'm a foreigner here. I want to go home. And so we want to know when that is. Another one is because we want to know the things that the Lord says are reserved for him. And that's dangerous. But it doesn't necessarily mean that all of this question is, dang is dangerous in itself. Um, I believe that we, can that we find and we know with some level of certainty that Peter believed that these signs and wonders and happenings have been fulfilled, are being fulfilled, and will be fulfilled. And so um, I think that what's, what, when, when we read these things, what's often taught to you, whether it's Bible college or a smart friend or a pastor or whatever, is that, that sometimes there's an event that is here but not completed yet. And so I think that's what we run into when this day of the Lord thing uh, comes up. Because, yes, the day of the Lord absolutely, uh, we can say, has begun when Jesus Christ, when God of the universe comes in the form of man and walks the earth and then pays the penalty for sin on the cross and then dies, is buried, and then raises to life and then sends disciples in the world on a mission to tell everybody about him. Absolutely, the day of the Lord is at hand. It's happening. But yet there's also this judgment that will happen at the end. 
And so oftentimes we can consider yes and. Something has begun. The day of the Lord is here to one degree or another, and yet it's still happening, and we can put ourselves there. We can be okay with it. I'll give you an example. I'm driving up to see my parents last week. We left uh, Sunday right after church. I literally like went from here down the aisle into the car, and we left the state. And as I'm driving, uh, my dad, you know, he has to check in with me like 87 times on the way up there, right? And he blames it on different things where he's like, hey, you know, how's the, how's the drive going? Good. Like, hey, what's the gas mileage? Okay, good. Like, hey, you know, like, hey, put me on speakerphone with the kids, you know? And he really, and that, he's like, you know, everything going all right? It's like, yeah, everything's going all right. So we're going up there, you know, like, uh, um, you know, hey, have you hit this point? Have you hit this point? You know, and I'm texting him and he's got to check in periodically. And then there's a point where he, uh, where he texts and then I call back. And I can't remember why that happened, but I'm on the phone and my dad's talking to me and he's like asking this question. I'm like, I'm like, dad, I'm here. Like I'm, I'm coming up the driveway. Like I'm here. And, uh, oh, okay. I know. I'll I'll see what here. But I mean, the the reality though is like, I'm not really there quite yet. Right? Like, like I'm on that road. There's a really long driveway, but I'm not on the cement driveway. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm there, but not yet there. And I think that's kind of the feeling that is being expressed here as we talk about end times and things like that. When, when there's an argument about what the day of the Lord is and are we in the end or not? And this is a topic that has a bunch of discussion around it. In fact, there's many times, many of hours spent where I watch like live in person or uh, on YouTube or listen um, or read, these people discuss this topic in itself. Hours and hours, tens of hours spent listening to people talk about the day of the Lord. And, their, and all of their knowledge far transcends any understanding I have on anything in the world. And yet I listen to them and listen to them and they're all good considerations to make. But I think that a lot of this falls into yes. The day of the Lord has, has absolutely begun in some sense, and then there is also um, more to come. And that's where we're at. Some people would say that um, on the advent of Christ, Christ's coming, that's when it began. Some people would say the death and resurrection of Jesus, it began there. And then some people would say that um, it either began or a large portion or all of it was taken care of, AD 70 at the destruction of temple. Okay, there's the nerd part, we'll move on. But the idea is there's a lot of discussion around this. I want to conclude this sermon the same way he concluded the introduction here. And that's with uh, verse 21. Hey, can you skip to the next one, bud? Anyways, verse 21 says this. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Holy Spirit's here. It's going to be poured out on everyone. There's going to be manifestations of the Holy Spirit through His people. But everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The interesting thing about this is that word but. It sets it apart from the rest. It goes on and on and on and on. And then there's this part, this in verse 21, where it intentionally uses this word and sets it apart as if now there's something new or different. Or, and it doesn't quite juxtapose itself, but it stands itself out. And then this is what it says after all of that. And this is, these are some of the things you can get when it, when it talks about the Holy Spirit being poured out. And that's the event that's happened to everyone and describes everyone. And then gives uh, different um, manifestations of that Holy Spirit in the believer's life. And then at the very end it says, but everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And then who can receive the Holy Spirit? Everyone. And it's connected to calling on the name of the Lord and being saved. Now, in our culture, I just want to point this out. This is important because we take some of this for granted. A couple things that we should consider is who is everyone? Uh, what is calling? What, how do we call upon the Lord? And then also, who is this guy? Who's the Lord? Think about our culture. We need to know this stuff. We take it for granted and we move on. But we need to be able to articulate who everyone is, what calling upon the Lord looks like, who the Lord is, and then save from what? It reminds me of a uh, sermon that uh, Jonathan Edwards did in a, uh, in a church. He was called into it because it was a very strong-headed, stubborn church. And he goes in and he begins to speak. And uh, the, the sermon is sometimes considered fire and brimstone. And um, he, he goes in and he begins. He essentially takes time to explain the depth and breadth of our sinfulness and fallenness and ugliness and uh, rebelliousness. And the wrath of God, the anger of God that is very real, that we cover up in our churches so often. That there really is a God who is angry with sin, who is wrathful towards sin, who hates sin and sinners. And yet, on the other hand, is so loving and kind that with, without uh, promise or need, comes and saves us. And it is said that during this sermon, these people are so wrecked by the reality of their sin that they're clinging to these beams that are in this church, saying, what do we do now? And it reminds us of this sermon that ends with people saying, brothers, what should we do? I've said this before, and I believe it's true. That the more intimately acquainted we get with our sinfulness, our fallenness, our wretchedness, our disaster, our rebelliousness, the greater we see our God. Because we, we see the sinner he saved, a wretch like me he saved. And that begins to allow his attributes to transcend more and more and more beyond our understanding as his image bearers, who our God is. And that was the effect Jonathan Edwards was having in this church. They began to think, I'm almost like God. I'm not that bad. I'm pretty good. And Jonathan Edwards comes in and doesn't, he doesn't use his hands to separate them. What he does is he shines a light on the reality and says, you are no God, but you need him. And essentially gives the same message. But everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And the man and the woman that are clinging to the pillars in that church, what they realize is that's my only hope. Some people have said that all, lead, all roads lead to the same place. And that's true if it's hell. Because there's one way to be reconciled to the king of the universe, and that's through Jesus Christ. Through Christ alone. Queen Elizabeth died Thursday. She's 96 years old, the longest serving uh, 
monarch in the UK. And I got an email from a friend who brought up that she was somebody that was later, that was in, in while she lived, but I didn't know this because um, I don't learn things very well, but uh, she shared her faith often. And in fact, um, she, I believe she got more bold as time went on. And partly, I can't, uh, partly she just got away with whatever she would do. And I think it's like, what are you going to do to a nine-year-old lady? Nothing. You know, and so she just started talking about Jesus more and more and more. And I, I will narrow my point down after I read this. Uh, in 2011, she spoke some words at a Christmas event. She said, Although we are capable of great acts of kindness, we would call that common grace, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, which to a world from a queen, that would be shattering. We need saving from ourselves. Because what our world teaches us is that we're our own greatest advocate. How do you survive this world? It's from within yourself. And the Bible's like, that's not going to work. Put that away. You need Jesus. You need the truth. We need saving from ourselves, she says. From our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person. And then check out how she differentiated something here. She said, neither a philosopher nor a general. Important though they are, but a savior with the power to forgive and power to save. It is my prayer that on this Christmas day we might all find room in our lives for the message of the angels and for the love of our God through Christ our Lord. Now many political leaders say all sorts of things, right? The argument here is that she believed it. And my point is this. The message that started here with Peter then continues and continues and continues around the world. And on a day like 9-11, there's a thousand ways to draw our minds to the realities and the need of a Savior. But yet we use Queen Elizabeth here where I believe she really believes this. That we need saving. And that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. The intro of the sermon ends with, but everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I believe that to be true. And let me warn you in the next two weeks. In the next two weeks, Peter is going to challenge his audience, and thereby us also, uh, to be intimately acquainted with our responsibility to the sinfulness in our lives, and then point us towards the only solution, and that's through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this moment to be able to worship and praise you in song as well as to then come and study your word together. This conclusion of this service will be different in that we don't have a closing song, but will be released in prayer. And I pray that that difference, that change, maybe will be abrupt in our lives today as we're just left with the truth straight from your prophet Joel and then from 
Peter's mouth in the first sermon that what you have determined is the way to be saved and the path that you have paved is that one paved by your work in your hand in saving people and redeeming them back to yourself. The reality is, is that we know in a sense you have a bow in full draw with an arrow of your wrath. The string is taut and the bow is bent. The arrow is straight and on the tip is a spear. The sharp point of which that deserves to be drunk on our blood. And the only thing that stops your hand from releasing that string is your grace. And yet at any moment you can release it and be justified. But you choose in your sovereignty to hold that string back. And then we see Jesus on the cross in our place. I pray that uh, our need for that Jesus, our need for you, for us to repent and turn away from sins and then turn to you in faith and trust in you is the only solution to the sickness we have. It's the only medicine that actually cures. It's the only medicine that will actually have an effect on the disease that we have of sin. And yet we see the very reality that the, the calling on you in the end is by your work and your hand and your power and drawing us to yourself anyways. You are God and King and we are not. We love you and in Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, well, that's the end of the good morning for you. We do not have a last song, so you guys are free to go. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Cornerstone Church of Ione. We hope that you found it encouraging and challenging. Please feel free to share this podcast with friends and family, and we will see you all next week.